What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 212, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. How, how, how long? Yeah. <laughs> what are you celebrating? No, it's, just, it's just another episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like 2021. Now it's really starting to sound like we're going into the future. Like, yeah. At this point, 2039, 2045, <laughs> it's like these are all... 2040. Yeah, it's just, it's it's not like, you know, 1997 or, you know, like it felt like it was really but building. But what's funny about that is there were a lot of films back in the day, like in the 90s, where they took place in like 97, and it was supposed to be like a very different kind of future. Like I think Predator 2 takes place in like the late 90s. And uh, then there's uh, uh, films like Split Second that take place in 2007. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, you're just like, the, yeah, London was not uh, completely uh, awash with uh, floods and it was raining all the time. That's not really what was happening. London did not become Venice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's but, hard. Uh, it's hard when uh, sometimes, though, I see some movies where they have like something that almost looks like an iPad or something. And yeah. it's like, oh, wow, they, they actually got kind of Or video screens or video chats, you know, yeah. on the computer. Yeah, Like in Galaxy Quest, that whole uh, bit where uh, Justin Long and his nerd friends are communicating with uh, Tim Allen and the rest of uh, the crew on the Protector. And uh, they're uh, giving them assistance to try to figure out how to get through this crazy, ridiculous uh, failsafe. And they're speaking through video chat, which is way ahead of its time. The only time I want to deal with Tim Allen is when he's on the set of Home Improvement or when he's doing... I think he might, I think he might uh, find uh, Galaxy Quest to be a, a decent movie. Because this is one of the films where it seems like... All right, Mike, this isn't your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to plug all that shit at the end. Uh, this is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, where we cover the show Unsolved Mysteries, and man, do we got some some cheese for you uh, this week. I would almost call this podcast the uh, Debunking Religion uh, cast. <laughs> <laughs> the Controversy podcast. <laughs> because both of these uh, cases came from the Miracle, or as Mike would say, Miracles uh, box set 
or whatever you want to call it of the DVDs, which, um, as we've mentioned before, if you're a collector or completionist of Unsolved Mysteries DVDs, apparently that set is the most expensive on eBay. I don't care. I'm not paying a crazy high price for that. It's the only one I'm missing, and I, I'm just not going to pay yeah, any well, more than like awful 10, anyway. 10 bucks. That's it. That's my end, end price. I, I'm fine with the rips that I've made that are just the exact same. They're the copies of the disc itself. I just copied them onto a DVD-R. Uh, it's the same thing, just without the cover art and the cases. So for right now, I'm fine with that. Oh yeah, I'm seeing on eBay. It's like this one's like sixty five bucks, sixty. What some some idiots trying to sell sell it for ninety? Woof. Eight. Damn. Yeah. It, what the fuck? Why is Miracle so expensive? I think it's probably because out of the few that were released it's the one that i think probably didn't get as many copies that were made yeah they probably didn't think it would sell as well as the murders and the the paranormal and all that well it seems like the ghosted ufos ones are the most common but strange legends miracles and bizarre murders are the ones that are less common strange legends i think was my favorite uh although they could have easily and and should have done a uh fraud section too I yes think. i think they should have done a book too I mean, uh, I know a member in the group was talking about it, or he was talking about it in his his group, Chris, and I was like, yeah, I would have loved to have had an Unsolved Mysteries book. Yeah. It would have been really cool. Yeah, that could have been cool. Um, but yeah, there's, there. I don't know, there's some cases from the Miracles section that are okay. We're going to be talking- Yeah, the bombing one's not too bad, and, and for one specific reason, I, I, I will say it's actually pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, I guess we'll just go right into it um, and, and, and skip a lot of the chit-chat just to... Yeah, because I don't really have much to say. I mean, you? I'm, you know, I'm kind of... About what's been going on. Kind of hungover. Uh, you know, Joe Biden's our president. That's uh, uh, honestly a, re- yeah. a relief for me. But we do have other things, like, for instance, uh, you know, in terms of chit-chat, uh, there is going to be another true crime show that is going to be making a return some reason i couldn't say crime but uh that is going to be america's most wanted i almost said unsolved mysteries again because i have that on my brain right now and uh it has a new host former like cbs anchor uh elizabeth vargas i've never heard of her until now me neither and uh i don't know why they can bring back john uh walsh this is like if Unsolved Mysteries was brought back on Lifetime and Stack was still alive and they were like, nah, you know, we just want to take things in a different direction, so we're going to give Virginia Madsen the host job. You'd be like, what? Or some random like news anchor. We'll have Connie Chung host the show now. I could it's just kind of I could actually see them doing that if Robert Stack was still alive. Like I could see them being like yeah, we just, you know, I don't know. We, yeah, like, well, first of all, if Robert Stack was still alive, he'd be like 90-something at least. No, I was talking about during the time when the show was still on the air. Oh, I got you. Like when they moved it to Lifetime. Because John Walsh, he's still with us, and he's still able to communicate pretty well. He hosted a, a spinoff series 
which is heavily inspired by America's Most Wanted, called In Pursuit, I think. And uh, so he can still do it. So why not? I, I just don't I don't understand the, the thought process behind not bringing him back. I get that uh, he is very open to the new host. He's given her his blessing. Why wouldn't he? But at the same time, it, it, it just it just feels off to me. And it's not really the best uh, uh, way to uh, really reel in old fans of the show. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, mean, I, I they, hope she does help, a good job. If they help but... solve, solve crimes and shit, then, you know, mission accomplished as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, for sure. But I, from what I've been hearing is they're doing a different format. It's more inspired by live PD. So they're going to only focus on like cases that are like very uh, in the now and not really trying to look at cases from the past, which uh, that that has its advantages and also its disadvantages. It's going to be interesting to see how they're going to handle this and and what it's going to be like, Um, especially if it's going to be more like live PD and less like the original incarnation of America's Most Wanted. Uh, and speaking of people who were most wanted, the Zodiac uh, killer, uh, we're super late on this, but his cipher was actually solved uh, fully, um, and uh, the code was cracked. Uh, I think most of the code had already been cracked for a long time, but uh, someone finally cracked the rest of it, and uh, it just turns says, out it was just a Rick roll. It was the lyrics to "Never Gonna Give You Up" by Rick Astley. <laughs> he says, uh, "It says, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me." That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise. Of course, the whole thing where paradise is spelled wrong. Uh, all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life is life will be an easy one and paradise death. So after all of that buildup, it's kind of disappointing, but at the same time, I don't think it ever would have lived up to anybody's expectations for this cipher. After all these years, like it was never going to be like this amazing revelation. He wasn't going to reveal who he was, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It, is, um, it was just one that was that they just happened to not be able to solve. It's not like I don't think there was any indication that that one in particular was a big one and they just never figured it out. But uh, it's still interesting, yeah. especially since it just now was finally solved after decades. I mean, it's got historical value at this point, I feel. The memes some people uh, thought of, though, were, were pretty funny. Like, just imagining if the Zodiac Killer was like an old guy at a at a um, retirement home, and he just finds out the news, and late one night he's just pissed off, and he's upset, and then you have the people who work at the retirement home have to be like, all right, calm down, come on, you know. Take it easy. Go to bed. <laughs> Go back to bed, sir. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I mean the the, the if you look at the cipher itself and like the uh, it's just so, like how someone 
figured that out it is just so beyond my scope of understanding. It's so it looks so complicated and like yeah, there's a lot of it's mathematics. Yeah, and I suck at math. So oh, me too. There's no I'm way. Fucking worst. <laughs> Like, it's like a foreign language. Yeah. Well, see, for me, when I was when I did math back in the day, like I would always only be off by one. You know, they called it a careless mistake. I'd I'd make careless mistakes all the time, and I'd I don't. I would just make things too complicated because I'd take too many steps, or I wouldn't remember all the steps. Because with my Aspergers, when it comes to things that have multiple steps, it still fucks with me, even to this day. Like if I have to, if it's like. A five, six, seven, eight step process. I just my mind just gets completely wrecked. I mean, trying you to know, human beings are meant for different that. things. Some people are better at some things. Some people are better at other things. I'm good at what I do. I found what I'm good at, and then other people are really good at numbers and doing office jobs and handling accounts and payroll and all that shit. And I'm better at making entertainment and music and art. And everyone's, mm-hmm. you know, everyone can't be the same you know so i think it's fine that i didn't do good in math i don't you know i i know basic math i know the enough math to get through my adult life so that's fine you know like uh, you know whatever anyway let's get to these cases uh first case we're going to talk about is the uh cokeville elementary school explosion which was uh known on the box set as a lucky school i believe they really um just kind of fell asleep at the wheel on the naming of the uh episode on this one <laughs> uh geez i don't know a bomb exploded in the school and none of the kids died let's name it lucky school didn't they already <laughs> do lucky church or something at one point i think it was lucky choir oh yeah it was lucky choir okay that's what it was but anyway um it was this guy david young who was this deranged former Cokeville cop. I like how they don't mix uh, mince words on the wiki here. They just instantly like he was a deranged former Cokeville cop who was fired for misconduct. Um, on May 16th, 1986, he and his wife Doris invaded a classroom at Cokeville Elementary School and held 136 children and 17 teachers hostage with a crudely built homemade bomb. He believed- now, this was a... Uh- segment uh of uh the show that was uh from the night season so i think this was still on nbc at the time or maybe it might have been when they were on cbs but it's either one of those so you still had some of the same production values and uh they actually managed to get horror icon bill mosley who uh portrayed chop top and texas chainsaw massacre 2 and uh one of the characters in the devil's rejects he uh actually portrays david young in the in the reenactment and he does an amazing job so it really does show you like the importance of getting someone who is already an established character actor for the reenactment and like how it can actually make something so much better yeah because uh (laughs) Deranged is definitely one way to put it. And that's one way to put it very lightly. Um, and it's just a very intimidating presence in the reenactment. You know, when he's all like, he's saying, uh, I think he's like, sit down and shut up. <laughs> you know, and his, his just total insane ramblings. 
about you know why he's doing what he's doing uh it definitely did create the right kind of atmosphere and mood that they were trying to go for with uh, the reenactment i didn't even know like that that was a professional actor that had been in those movies before you told me that today but i rem- i do remember his performance and remembering he was like one of the main reasons that made me want to go back and rewatch that segment you know as many times as i have not not saying that it's one of my favorite yeah. segments by any means but uh and anytime well, out of I, the miracles set, yeah is, of, is it, it's definitely one of the better ones yeah for sure and 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 he's a large part of that so that makes sense that he you know he he was actually like a legit actor on other movies um yeah, I didn't know it was Bill Mosley myself until I looked it up today. I was just checking out the IMDb uh, of uh, the episode, and and uh, it listed Bill Mosley, and I was like, what? And then I looked at it, and then I watched the segment again. I'm like, yeah, that is Bill Mosley. Like, it's undeniably Bill Mosley. Like, how did I not catch that the first time around, you know, when I when I saw it? But that, I think that's really cool that he did an Unsolved Mysteries segment yeah so uh he believed that the school was actually brainwashing the children and demanded two million dollars for each one of them and in the reenactment he's like the school has has fed your brain with lies and i'm sitting here going uh is it is this guy a a follower of QAnon?" uh i feel like he could have easily been one of those uh uh q sent me guys uh, or something like that like this is all fake news but um so he said otherwise he said he would explode the bomb and lead them to a brave new world um i I doubt there would be 17 virgins in this world in this particular world there would probably just be darkness and non-existence he also threatened to shoot anyone that tried to run away Police and uh, distraught parents arrived at the school within minutes. However, little could be done to save the children and teachers. When one of the children tried to grab Young, he became upset. The teachers decided to put tape around an area near Young in the bomb. Well, that's not... uh, The wiki is trying to argue that it was a teacher's idea. But from what I've been reading, it was more than likely actually David's idea to do that. Because the kids were getting too close to the bomb. He did not want them to set it off early. So he, and I think his wife, they decided to put the tape around and tell the kids not to go where uh, the tape is, you know, go past the tape. They called it the magic square. Yeah, it was magical, right? Um, Which I find kind of silly. I understand why, but I mean, it just call it a magic square. I like how I like how he at this point has in his world decided that it's okay to break into a school, to gather up all the people in the school, put them in one room with a bomb that he plans on exploding. He says he's going to shoot anyone if they try to leave, but yet he still has the. Uh, kind of whimsical childlike mannerisms of naming it the magic square like it's some kind of fun game <laughs> like he's trying to, to pander to the children in this one area but at the same time i will fucking shoot you in the leg if you try to run like it's just like what i mean 
that just seems inconsistent with his personality. He could have called it the death square, the, <laughs> the, the fuck off square, the, um, you know, kaboom boom, boom square, kaboom square. <laughs> but no, he calls it the magic square. Like it's some fucking prize at the bottom of a lucky charms box or something. So anyway, um, the gasoline fumes from the bomb made several children sick. The teachers asked to open the windows, and the youngs allowed them to do so. The cho- which, to me, I-, I feel like that might be a stupid idea, especially if you're as paranoid as this motherfucker was, because I was yeah. thinking, like, well, I mean, wouldn't that give a sniper, you know, like, potentially? Maybe, but I think uh, it wasn't just because the kids were getting sick. Uh, his wife, Doris, was starting to feel the effects, and so was he. So I think it was just one of those, yeah, just open the windows. Like, I'm getting a fucking headache over here. Yeah. You know? Seems like that could compromise their, you know, whole thing, though. But then again, uh, you know, snipers... If they didn't leave, if they if they kept the windows closed, they might have passed out or, you know, been incapacitated yeah, by the true. fumes. Yeah. But then, too, you got the whole thing, like, well, if a sniper did, like, shoot him in the head through the window and then he falls over... What if he hit the bomb? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the bomb's attached to a, a, a wristband that's around his wrist, so if he falls in the, you know... So yeah. Anyway, it was a it was an untenable situation. Mm-hmm. The children and teachers began praying and hoping for a miracle. This is the unsolved mysteries version. Then we'll give you another version. This apparently agitated Young. He decided to hand the triggering mechanism to Doris, his wife. By then, the children were in the room for over two hours. They were restless and would not stop talking. This bothered Doris, who began gesturing carelessly despite having the triggering mechanism. Attached to her arm. That's so stupid. And the, reena- like, why the, would the you reenactment, do- like, I know they had to, like, write some dialogue for her, but her, she's like, she's like, why don't we put him over here? Or maybe we could take this group and put him by this group. And then this is going to, boom! And the way that is shot, the explosion, it, it really looks unbelievably cheap and corny. Like I, I think like it's just the the zoom in or however they shot it. It it almost even looks like it's like some early CGI at one point too. Like it just looks off. I don't remember to me. I don't remember it looking particularly awful in my experience watching it. But I mean, I, I I'm just I'm just comparing it to a bunch of low budget action movies ah. that you know I've I've seen plenty of and it just it just seemed like it was a little off but uh it it wasn't like unbelievably terrible it just looked a little it definitely looked like a cheap effect that's for sure so as you can tell from my my uh description there she gestured too far at one point and the bomb exploded the children began to escape through the windows in the front door of the classroom teachers helped injured children out of the windows Within minutes, investigators were in the classroom. There, they found Doris's body. Dumb bitch. Fuck you. Young was found in a bathroom. He had committed suicide. Fucking coward. Before and, uh, being and, captured. And uh, the real story with Doris is uh, she was so severely burnt and injured by the explosion that uh, uh, David decided to shoot her. So she didn't actually die immediately in the explosion. Unsolved Mysteries tries to paint it as if she died in the explosion, like, right then and there. But that's actually not what happened. Oh, damn. Uh, David uh, wound up killing her, 
and then he killed himself. Oh, the, see, they they painted that at, in a completely different way. They made it seem like he got bothered, gave her the triggering mechanism. He did. He walks she out. Did. Of, he walks out she of the did. room. Right, yeah. but let me finish. He walks out <laughs> of the room. She gestures too much. The bomb blows her to bits, and he kills himself remotely in some room. But what actually happened was, I guess he heard the explosion, walked inside the room, saw that I guess she was still alive, according to you, yeah, and like put her out of her misery, yeah, and then killed himself, yeah. But they say, I mean, I guess he didn't kill himself in the same room because they said they found him in the bathroom, yeah. Um, he had committed suicide before he was captured. Incredibly, not a single child or teacher was killed in the blast, although 79 were injured. Many believe that a miracle saved the hostages that day. Investigators found several reasons that the number of casualties was so low. First, the children and teachers were shielded from the most severe part of the blast as they stayed behind the tape left of the floor near the bomb. Next, with the doors and windows open, much of the force from the blast went harmlessly outside. Finally... They found several problems with the bomb. One of the containers of blasting powder had become thoroughly soaked, turning it into a useless paste. Detonation wires to other tubs of powder had been inexplicably cut. The people of Cokeville are convinced that a miracle saved the hostages. Some of the younger children spoke of seeing angels hovering above the room. I think that was uh, hallucinating from huffing too many gasoline fumes. (laughs) <laughs> the, the angels even told them to move away from the bomb because, you know, that's something you need an angel to tell you. Uh, the reenactment of that scene is pretty funny, too. Just this nebulous just so, graphic yeah. up in the ceiling, this light speckle thing. Um, the sheriff also claimed that... Be- I don't know why I didn't creep, like, scare the kids. See, that's the thing. I understand, oh, it, like, it had a calming presence or whatever, but... I mean, if they've never seen anything like that before, I don't. I, even if it was trying to send a calming presence or some kind of calming vibe to me, I would still be like, "What?" <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'd be pretty freaked out. Jesus Christ! First, I'm gonna get blown <laughs> up in class with this bomb. Now I'm hallucinating. This is just a bad day. <laughs> yeah, like if I was ten years old and I was seeing fucking floating, you know lights in the ceiling yeah and hearing voices yeah i'd I'd be pretty pretty freaked out well you see a lot of things when you huff chemicals i mean my cousin used to (laughs) inhale air duster all the time to get high and uh oh he'd see and hear all kinds of shit i never did it because uh putting a chemical spray directly in my mouth and inhaling it just seemed like a dumb idea i don't know call me sounds like the kind of shit that beavis and butthead would do yeah slow day exactly i mean <laughs> seriously those those office air dusters the compressed air in the little cans that you use to clean off your keyboard yeah. that was like a, a thing in um junior high with a bunch of my friends it was called doing duster and <laughs> you'd get a can of it and you'd just stick it up to your mouth and inhale and it made your voice get really deep i don't i, I think whatever chemicals were in it 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 uh did something to your larynx to where it relaxed it to where it actually you caught a talk like this. Uh, it kind of had the opposite effect of helium. Um, and yeah, they, they, they had to start 
putting this really disgusting agent in the air dusters to deter kids from inhaling them. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's how we got into that uh, accident when my truck, my cousin drove us into the retention pond. I bought him a can of air duster because, uh, you know, I, I thought I was being like the cool older cousin. Uh, he was only two years younger than me, so it's not like he was a little kid and I was you know, uh-huh. an adult. It was like I was 19 and he was 17, so we were close enough in age. But yeah, he took a huge fucking inhale of it and passed the fuck out for like 30 seconds. <laughs> dumbass. And, and fell asleep or or passed out at the wheel and his dead weight like went on the gas pedal. And or, yeah, anyway, that's another story. But uh, yeah, so um, the wires had been cut. I don't know how that could have happened. Um, that's kind of well, weird. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't see that many explanations, though, like uh, of the full details of the wires being cut. Like it, it could have been something along the lines of he just forgot to connect them. They might not have actually been cut; it just appeared that way. Um, that's the one that's like the most convincing bit of evidence that there might have been some sort of higher power involved. Is the wires getting cut? But all the other stuff, I mean, kids saying they saw angels. I mean, it reminds me of the Kentucky Hills or whatever the hell it was that Kentucky that, Visions. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that fucking uh, disaster. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the police photograph of the angel on the classroom wall. Give me a fucking. I know. Break. I know. <laughs> This is a small town in, in the flyover, in one of the flyover states, you know, of course they're going to, you know, be heavily religious and they're all going to. I mean, just look at that photo. It doesn't look like an angel. Like, it just looks like powder burns. I don't... Nobody knows what an angel fucking looks like. It does. It's not like a man <laughs> with wings. Like, I, I don't, I don't even think they exist, but I mean, Jesus, even the, like the, even if they did, like, we want, we like to like humanize everything like we like we like to make jesus look like this white guy with blue eyes and angels are these men with wings and it's just so silly well that starts uh from you know the paintings from medieval times which we'll get into in a second actually um yes so yeah uh if if this bomb had had exploded the way it was intended to it, it would have blown up that whole wing of the building oh yeah um but, you know, it's like what me and Mike were saying before the podcast. I mean, they really did get lucky. It's, you know, I mean, you can call it a miracle. And if that makes you feel good, then I have no problem with that. But yeah, I don't either. But anytime, any like every time something bad happens, it doesn't always go according to plan all the time. Anytime like a bad guy decides to do an act of terror, their plan sometimes doesn't work the way they, they thought it should. And. You know, it, it, it and, it, and this was one of those occasions. You know, something went wrong, and only the the bad people died, and the kids. Well, were I mean, even initially uh, after this occurred, the newspapers and uh, a lot of the media coverage was not even remotely talking about how it was a miracle. They were talking about how it was a tragedy, uh, but and. And, you know, it could have been worse, but they were talking about how it was a tragic event and all of these kids were injured and they were very lucky or, or maybe they might have said something along the lines of, of blessed to have survived without any major injuries. 
But then this different story started to emerge in this highly religious and apparently largely Mormon community. It became a story of a miracle instead of a tragedy. Oral histories, memoirs, and drawings began to reveal a narrative of fortune rather than misfortune. Survivors began to tell their stories through a spiritual lens. They increasingly spoke about their memories in public with professional psychologists, church officials, and community counselors. Many recalled praying silently, forming prayer circles, and seeing angels. This narrative was perpetuated in in many publications and productions. Uh, There was a book by the Cokeville Miracle Foundation, which is a thing, called Witness to Miracles Remembering the Cokeville Elementary School Bombing, and the Wyoming State Archives Oral History Project called Survivor is My Name, both focused on the reconstructing of this narrative as a miracle instead of a tragedy. Um, and there were people who actually were there that didn't see angels or hear any voices or anything. This is an interview with one of the teachers. Uh, her name is Janelle Dayton. And she says, uh, some of the people saw angels. Did you see angels? And her answer is this. No. But some of the little children went over and prayed. I don't know why I didn't think of it, because I do about everything else, but I didn't. And that was a little of the thought that, is this a hoax? Is that bomb a hoax or is it real? I didn't really think it was real until I saw the fireball go up. So I find that kind of interesting that like she she thought that it wasn't real initially. I love how she's just like so frank about like no, I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, were, I know, yeah. Hate to rain on your parade, your uh, you know, uh, unicorns and the easter bunny exist but uh yeah sorry no no angels uh were, were were seen by me you know i almost feel like she was probably chastised by the community yes you did see angels you better tell them you saw angels we want because so badly it, for this to be it, true yeah because it was documented on multiple different shows other than just unsolved mysteries it was documented on a show called it's a miracle unexplained mysteries and i survived And then in 2015, there was a film called The Cokeville Miracle that was released. That sounds like a straight-to-lifetime movie, if I've ever heard of one. It's probably one of those uh, pure flicks kind of films. Or like a Hallmark Channel. Yeah, yeah. Might be good for a laugh, just to, you know, and I read something that they exaggerated a lot of the miraculous aspects of the event. They'd have to. Or else it wouldn't be an interesting movie. I mean, I am glad that nobody got severely hurt and everyone involved in the blast, uh, other than the criminals, turned out to be fine. I think more credit and appreciation needs to be given to the firefighters and the other first responders who arrived at the scene than just some miraculous act of God. Like, I I think that's just, I mean, even if you believe that's the case, please don't forget the firefighters, (laughs) the policemen, and the other people who also did their part. I think you got a lot of people plugging their, in that, in that town in Cokeville, you got them plugging their ears right now going, la, 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 miracles, Jesus, it was a miracle. (laughs) I'm not listening. (laughs) 
I mean, uh, and, and you know, unsolved mysteries like this. This is another. They didn't have a lot of uh, uh, opposing viewpoints in this. In this reenactment, this is, this in this is, a segment. No, they they didn't, um, and they usually do. Uh, to their credit, that the show does usually have the skeptic come in and all that, especially in the ghost and paranormal stuff. But uh, you know, this is this is another reason why. I, I think the miracles are my most disliked um, category on Unsolved Mysteries is because they 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 know that it's a puff piece and it's a feel good piece and it, it usually is played after some severe rape murder segment um, to, to kind of give you like hope that not all humanity is garbage and so I, I think they kind of lean on the fact that. You know, the more of the the supernatural, like religious angle, that, than what they probably should, and I think it all it just makes like good TV. You know that uh, it, that 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 feel good religious message, um, rather than just being like, yeah, they just they're fucking lucky. But you know, it kind of shows you where the writers and all where their heads were at, where where when they named the uh, on the box set when they named it Lucky School. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like if you ask me off the record, uh they were fucking lucky and and that is that is all. Um (laughs) now I mean Yeah, I don't really uh if I if I myself were in that situation, you know, don't don't think that I wouldn't for a second be like, Thank you, God, you know, whatever God that's out there, thank you. Like I mean I was doing that at you know when I got hit by that car, you know, the, the, even if you're not religious, you're, one of the first things that's probably going to pop into your head is to think whatever higher power, yeah, you know, that you're okay. What, whatever, whatever this might mean to whatever is the real power out there. Thank you. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I view it, I guess. Yeah. So speaking of uh, religion and miracles, uh, now we transition to one of the most infamous relics ever, the Shroud of Turin. So I, I, I've always been fascinated by the Shroud of Turin, but I've always thought it was a hoax going back to when I was a teenager or a kid reading countless books about them and, you know, about the, the, about relics and miracles and the unexplained. And I even remember reading a book that was specifically about the Shroud of Turin. And uh, I've seen documentaries and I've I've seen this segment of Unsolved Mysteries quite a few times. And uh, I even remember watching, I think it was like a National Geographic special that was like about recreating the Shroud of Turin. And I can see why it's got such a divided opinion uh, among skeptics and believers because I think when it comes to people who believe that it's real, there really isn't anything that you can do to make them believe otherwise. Uh, And for people who are skeptics, with the evidence that has been provided, there's just so much of it that leans toward the, the side that it's a hoax. It's it's not some ancient shroud from the time of Jesus. It's it, it's more than likely something from the Middle Ages, and it was man-made. But it, it's just one of those things that 
it, it really does encapsulate uh, belief and, and the power of belief uh, on both sides. I mean, even Robert Stack by the end of this segment is like for the you know, he's essentially just saying, but for those who believe it and uh, they believe it, that's basically <laughs> he might as well. For those who believe this bullshit, uh, they're going to believe what they want to believe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I watched it growing up, and even even now, and I'm interested to hear what you're, as you expound upon, um, you know, the the proof that they have that it, it mm-hmm. is, is a hoax. They they made they made I would say they made a compelling argument as to how it could potentially be authentic, and um, you know, I I don't know. I I since I don't really believe in god in the traditional sense of what i was brought up with it's hard for me to get behind any of this religious stuff as miracles or believable when that would that would concede that there is also god who died on the cross for our sins and all that stuff and 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 i just since i don't believe really that then it's it's hard for me to sign off on any of this miracle stuff, even if it, the evidence does seem pretty compelling at certain points. So I can see why if you watch this segment, you would look at this evidence and be, and be like, oh, that's that's super compelling. Like, I, I really do buy it. And I could see why other people might find other uh, documents or other interviews that support their uh, narrative or, or whatever they have in mind as to the truths behind the Shroud of Turin, I could see why they would be like, yeah, it's totally real if they're focusing only on that kind of evidence. Um, This is another segment that I think had some kind of agenda or something, because like you did have the opposite viewpoint. It was present here, but it was in the background. A lot of the focus on this segment was on it's authentic. And here's this one nagging asshole who wants to ruin, who wants to piss on everyone's parade. Yeah. I guess I'll be that asshole. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying you, but like the, the, sh- the, the, the show framed it. The, they, yeah. they framed the skeptic yeah. as like, you got all these people who are like super excited about it being real. And yeah. like, they're, they're, what are you going to tell a, a priest that he's wrong? You know, yeah. like that, that kind of thing. And yeah. then they got this one guy you know, this one lone skeptic to where it, it's literally like pushing the audience against this guy. It's like, just yeah. like in the UFO ones, like the ones where they really want you to believe. Or the Mothman uh, uh, segment with this fucking sand crane yeah. uh, explanation. But like in the U- or, or or I would say like the psychic, um, some of the psychic ones they'd have. Yeah, they'd have the resident um, skeptic guy. I forget his name, but he they they called him in on every like ghost and psychic thing. I swear, he I think he wrote for Skeptic Magazine or something. And um, you know he he would come in and he would be like crass and didn't seem very friendly or likable. And it was it was all kind of like optics, you know, like like even mm-hmm. though this guy was bringing up super valid points, you know, you could just feel the audience like fuck this guy you know because what a sanctimonious asshole yeah exactly you know, yeah <laughs> and sometimes i think so, on the show they set they set it up like that to kind of like yeah. you know 
it's like, well, we technically had an objective, uh, or we ha- we technically had an opposing viewpoint, but he was the most unlikable person ever. So, you know, your average American audience, uh, they're not going to get behind that. It's like uh, trying to get behind uh, Walter Peck from the EPA from Ghostbusters. Or like, you know, like, no, this guy's just a dick. Or like voting <laughs> no, for like a, no dick. a former reality show host for a president or something like that, you know? <laughs> oh, 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 no. Yikes. Ow. Okay, so uh, the face of Jesus Christ has inspired artists throughout the ages, but how did they know what Jesus looked like? Yeah, how did they know what Jesus looked like? That's another thing about this. The, the image of Jesus looks like the... Uh, images and paintings uh, from the Middle Ages. That's what the that's what the image of Jesus looks like with the beard and everything. Okay. So how did we actually know that that's really what he looked like? Because I think uh, there's a lot of other historical uh, documents and a lot of other attempts that have been made, and he doesn't look anything like that. Yeah, National Geographic put out a a picture of what the real Jesus would have actually looked like. And I don't know how they, I don't know how they were able to come across any kind of data that, that would help them compile it. But he was very Arabic looking like he, yeah, he did not look anything like the, any of the portraits that didn't have the long hair and the beard. None of that. The, the rendition that they came up with, I can tell you right now would not be nearly as marketable to the West because he looks very, you know, Arab and, you know, but it makes more sense that that's how he would. Have yeah, been. exactly. Well, that's what I know. But that's what I'm saying. That's why it's like all marketing to a certain degree. You know? I mean, that alone to me already makes the Shroud of Turin a, a complete and utter hoax. Like, there's no way that that Jesus, if he did exist and he was real, his appearance was like what we see on the tur- on the Shroud of Turin, because it looks like the typical Middle Ages Gothic. Uh, art-inspired uh, version or take of the appearance of Jesus. You said gothic Jesus, and now I'm thinking about Jesus wearing a Bauhaus t-shirt. <laughs> well, it's because it's gothic art. Yeah, yeah I know, That's I know. a yeah cheap joke. No, but but that it, it actually is kind of funny. The, uh, I had the image in my head. He's uh, dressed up like uh, the guy from The Cure. Bella Lugosi <laughs> is dead. so a piece of linen may hold the answer uh as to what jesus looked like it is called the shroud of turin many believe that it is the actual burial cloth of jesus christ and his image was imprinted on its threads so here's here's a big issue not only with the fact that jesus's appearance on this shroud matches the appearance of jesus in middle age depictions of uh jesus christ the fact that there aren't that many historical documents or anything uh that really 100 percent says that the shroud was uh a thing and was all over the place like here's the thing like if it really was the shroud of jesus christ wouldn't you think like there would be just documents everywhere all over the place, like historical documents from back historical in the day. Historical documents from is, back in the day. This is yeah, yes way. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You'd think that, wouldn't you? 
So you have uh, Father Kim Dreisbach, who is, I think he's the one who's interviewed uh, the most here. The is, is, he the, is he the whole, uh, the one who came to scoff has stayed to pray? Yes, yeah. That guy, that guy was... He's uh, like, when I first began to study the Shroud of Turin, I was convinced it was a crock. It would take me probably less than two hours to put away this pious fraud. After all, anyone with an IQ over 100 knows that all relics, by definition, are frauds. What, now, see, I, what does that even mean? What, I, I always remember hearing that statement during the I'm like, what does that mean, all relics are frauds? No, they're not. I mean, what's the definition of a relic? I thought well, it was just you know, something... There's a different relics there's there's two different definitions for relics so if you're thinking about like indiana jones and you know like old archaeological type of discoveries that's a that's a different kind of relic but when it comes to religious relics those uh there's nothing to determine or prove that any of the any of them are real in fact there's just so there's too many of them there's like numerous different uh spears of destiny or you know, this uh, uh, relic that's supposed to be like the nail that was stabbed or, or shoved into Jesus's the holy grail. Yeah, there's so many of them. And there's all these different churches that claim that they actually have, you know, this religious relic of utmost importance. And yeah, I can I can see why somebody in the faith would be like, no, it's a bunch of BS because there's too many of them, and I'm familiar with the history of, of these relics. But then he says, I, I must admit, here I am some 17 years later, I who came to scoff have stayed to pray. My own personal belief is the Shroud is probably authentic. The Shroud was first exhibited publicly in France during the Renaissance period. No one seemed to know where it came from. Then in 1578 AD, the Shroud was moved to Turin, Italy, where it was rarely shown in public. Three centuries later, in 1898, the Shroud was photographed for the first time. According to Father Dreisbach, the photographer's negatives showed more detail than could be seen by the naked eye. I completely forgot that you could even develop photos in 1898. Yeah, it was it was pretty early on in the, in the process, but yeah, you could with the, the camera obscura and all that. I don't know how good the detail would be. And also, where is this recollection coming from? Where is this source? It's never mentioned in this uh, segment. Like, we don't have access to that print, I don't think, from 1898. So, unless that's the one that they show. But I highly doubt it, since it's, like, super old. And uh, if that kind of film got exposed to any kind of light, it would just, I think it would probably melt. But uh, anyway, uh, the, he photographed uh, the, the shroud for the first time. And he says the negative showed more detail than could be seen by the naked eye. Also, it's 1898. There probably weren't that many other photographs or other things to compare it to. So... It could have just shown the same number of detail than what people are used to with photographs, but like they didn't really have like that much to compare to. Um, but anyway, Favre uh, Dreischbach, he's quoted here. He was to write of this experience years later, and he would never forget that as he lifted the glass plate, he believed the first he was the first person in two thousand years to have seen the face of Jesus of Nazareth. So dramatic, it is. 
From that point on, the Shroud of Turin became more and more an object of scientific inquiry. Dr. Robert Buckland, a forensic pathologist, I almost said psychologist, that's a completely different thing. I don't even know if that exists. Is there a forensic psychologist? Yeah, don't be going, you'd be piss off the Church of Scientology if you start talking about psychiatry. So, uh, you had a forensic pathologist, he examined life-sized uh, photographic negatives of the Shroud. And he says, uh, the body shows a number of injuries. On the head, we see a series of blood stains around the forehead, high in the scalp, and along the posterior uh, portion of the scalp. These are consistent with the application of a crown or cap of thorns. On the chest area, there's a rather unique wound. It's quite consistent with a puncture-type wound made by an implement, which entered the chest cavity and produced an outflow of blood and water. In the region of the left wrist, there's a puncture wound which was clearly made by some implement which passed into the tissues of the wrist and produced bleeding. Uh, so they have this guy interviewed, but they don't have another pathologist to compare and contrast. So it's just this one guy who says, like, this matches. I mean, you know, you know I don't take any issue with his analysis of, I don't either. of this uh, breakdown of these injuries, because if somebody commissioned, or if somebody painted this or, 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 or made this themselves, yeah, and they are aware of the crucifixion. Then, yeah, they're gonna make it. They're gonna yeah. make it look like they the the image had a crown of thorns. So there's gonna be blood spots there. There's gonna be uh, yeah, but the spot in the in the side where he was pierced with the spear and all that. And then you know they're they're gonna know to put those there because that's what the Bible pretty much describes during the crucifixion. So it's not it, it, you know that the the, the to. So basically, if it was a hoax, and then someone's analyzing it and saying like, "Oh, these are consistent with Jesus's injuries," well, yeah, the person who pulled off the hoax had a whole guidebook on where to put everything, um, because that's what it said in the Bible. So it's not really, uh, you know, do you get, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And, and and what I was gonna say is that you don't have that person who says what you're saying here, where it's like. Oh, you know that's that's uh, interesting, and or or something along the lines of uh, that's uh, correct. But if it was a hoax, it would probably still be just as anatomically correct because of what they are using to create such a uh, hoax in the first place. That's like so. Th that's like if I, you know. Did some if if I if I replicated the the uh, how Robert uh, Kennedy or uh, John F Kennedy's body looked after his assassination and I I did some drawing or something and and it was very uh, accurate to how it actually happened well that's because I know how it happened because I I've read about it and and heard about it and you know and so I would have a guidebook on or you know I would have yeah. a, a pathway on how you know. Whatever you get, what I'm saying. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm not saying. I just got un unnecessarily defensive at the end of that. I, I don't. I don't think you're understanding. Like I'm in agreement with you. I'm just saying that I, I don't think that this segment had that extra voice. Mike, it wasn't was a trying fuck to you to you context. in particular. It was more of a fuck <laughs> you to the listening audience. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, then they talk about how the crucifixion of Jesus uh, had been depicted with nails driven through his palms, but uh, modern research has confirmed that the, at the time of his death, 
nails were driven through the victim's wrists, which makes a lot more sense because it will hold the body better. And that's where they are on the the shroud is they're on the wrists. In 1978, the shroud was made available to a number of scientists for the first time using particles lifted from the shroud with adhesive tape. Biophysicist uh, John Heller and chemist Alan Adler determined that there was blood on the cloth. They found chemical evidence of severe torture consistent with crucifixion. Their findings, however, are not universally accepted. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason why the evidence of blood on the cloth is not universally accepted is that for one, there's no way to prove that it, it might not be blood from a, a, a different source. Also, there are certain pigments that have chemicals and have certain things that would produce similar chemical results to uh, blood. There actually are pigments out there that, that would uh, uh, provide similar kind of uh, chemical results. So some scientists like Dr. Walter McCrone have claimed that the shroud is a forgery, the work of a highly skilled artist who painted with tiny brush strokes uh, that you couldn't even see with the naked eye. So when I first started working on it, I expected it to be authentic and I looked for blo for body fluid and uh, that's where I started. But the red turned out to be red ochre and another pigment, vermilion common artist pigments. There's no question in my mind that this is a painting. However, uh, Father Dreischbach disagreed with the theory. Many copies of the shroud were made. It was felt by pious people at the time that if you touch the copy to the original, it would give the copy extra sanctity. It's called a brandiums, the technical name. When they were touched, of course, some of that pigment ended up on the shroud. And that is what has been discovered. But it is not responsible for the image, let alone the whole body image, total front and total back. And then he gives a little grin. This guy is like so satisfied with himself. Yeah, he thinks he's like the expert mm -hmm. of the Shroud of Turin. Yes, he's now the expert. And I could see why if somebody saw this, they would be very compelled by this man. Because of just how confident he is. Especially if they already went into this wanting to believe that it's real. So in recent times, other scientists have used computer technology to study the shroud. Optical specialist Kevin Moran claimed his computer analysis revealed that the image has unique optical qualities that confirm the shroud's authenticity. This whole bit is laughable. <laughs> the fucking old ass late 80s computer technology used yeah. uh, in, in this part is just so laughably like, funny. Uh, I don't know how he's like this one is more distorted than the other one. The the spectrometer or whatever he's using yeah. that basically scans the image into the computer and then it like renders certain features in like this. He's like, you can clearly see, and I, I feel like the guy in Spaceballs where he's trying to comb the desert with like a pick and he's like, we ain't found shit. You know, I feel like that. I was like, I can't see shit. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's it's uh, clearly uh, it's, it's, more detailed. It's kind of hard to explain unless you see the image that we're talking about. But basically, it's like he, he first scans a picture of like a child's face into this thing. And, it's, mm -hmm. and, and the screen is like that old school, like black yeah. and green 
vector type graphics yeah, or whatever. And he says you can immediately see a very distorted fi- figure when I take a normal photograph. It's basically the just nose. it's basically just an inverse of the child's face. So like all the kids' features that would normally stick out are like sunken in. And when he puts the Jesus face in there, the Shroud of Turin picture, uh, now all of a sudden the the image um, is coming uh, up in a 3D way, and it's not inverse. It's actually proportionate, like the hair and everything. And somehow or another, this weird-ass computer program somehow legitifies the uh, Shroud of Turin more. I, never, I didn't quite understand how... This little computer well, program, especially means for me, anything? even if I saw that back when that was like state of the art technology, I can't see that much of a difference between those two uh, reflected images or you know scans. In fact, I actually would say that the photo, the normal photograph you put in there, I could make out that that was the child's face. A lot easier than I can make out that yeah, the, the shroud. squiggly lines were the face of Jesus from the shroud. Oh. So it's like a bunch of craggy fucking lines Over in a there computer looking, program. Looking like a wireframe from a fucking Sega CD game. I was just like, that That one is, uh, that's right up there with the face on Mars in terms of like how dated the technology is. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's the technology that was around at the time. God. But the face on Mars—that is like one of the most obsolete episodes on in uh, Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> history. And yet, they still chose to put it on the Ultimate Box Set under yeah. the uh, UFO. DVDs. I think even Robert Stack probably, even when he was asked to do that case, he was probably like, "This is a bunch of bullshit. There's no way it's not real." <laughs> But, you know, you're paying me good, so... I just love the giggling scientist in in the episode on the face on Mars who's just laughing at the assertion that yeah. it's a face. He's like, he's like, oh, we see patterns all the time. Uh, there's another curious formation on Mars that we named Kermit the Frog because it looks like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. And he's like, you know, this, this is just uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, when the HD cameras got sent back up there, we see that, yeah, it's just yeah. a fucking... I want to see another 3D computer generated image of the shroud other than the one that was in this segment. The one that was made Um, on like a fucking Vic 20 from Radio Shack. (laughs) Because the guy tries to argue, he's like, you know, when I take a normal photograph, you can immediately see a very distorted figure. The nose with respect to the cheek is totally distorted. And this is because this is a reflected image. The image is made by reflected light. This is not what we see on the shroud. The shroud is a very different type of image. The image immediately comes into a three-dimensional form. The eyes, nose, mouth relationship are all clearly recognizable. I love how he's like, it's all clearly recognizable. It's like, I can't see shit. What are you talking about? It's clearly recognizable. It just looks like a fucking blob yeah. of craggy lines on a computer screen. The image on the shroud is so unique that it en- almost enters a scientific faith factor by all by itself. Whatever that fucking means. Yeah, right. <laughs> there simply is no way that we can duplicate this image even today, and people have certainly tried. Uh, in addition to Moran's findings, believers claim that the absence of brush strokes on the shroud proves that it is not a painting. However, skeptics have pointed out that Leonardo da Vinci's brush strokes were often invisible. 
in an effort to resolve the controversy surrounding the shroud, the Vatican allowed samples to be cut from its outer edges in 1988. So, yeah, with the whole invisible brushstrokes thing, yeah, that's, that's a thing. And there's a lot of different art out there that feature techniques and even pigments that we don't have access to today. And the techniques are unknown. So this this whole shroud could easily be one of those instances. Some artist using techniques that we aren't familiar with that died along with him. And it's just one of those things that it easily could have just been the work of just some guy. Not the work of radiation emanating from the body of Jesus Christ. It could just be this guy who decided, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this bit of art. I'm going to sell it to somebody or, you know, I'm going to pass it off as some religious relic and I'm going to get some fame and fortune out of this. Jeez, Mike, total buzzkill. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, that's nothing. Uh, uh <laughs> I got, I got a whole chainsaw. Um, multiple chainsaws for you. So anyway, uh, you have this whole thing with the carbon dating. Three universities were given a tiny piece of linen for carbon dating. Uh, Dr. Paul Damon at the University of Arizona, he headed the carbon dating team in the U.S. His findings placed the Shroud's origin between 1290 and 1360 A.D. So nowadays, there are people trying to say, well, it's an old measurement, it was done way back in the day, so it's not reliable because it's old, which I don't think that's that reliable of an argument. And then you have people saying other things like, well, they didn't test the entire shroud. And you even have the whole stuff where, you know, the father's trying to debate it, saying they didn't, uh, they only tested the outside of the shroud. They didn't test the inner portion of the shroud with where the actual image is. And it's like, uh, they could have easily just tested a uh, portion of the shroud that was retouched, except for the fact that all of these researchers, I think it was 12 different people who were involved from different countries, all of them had their own fail-safes in place. In the case of the American researchers, they actually did send the, the strips of the shroud to, uh, I think, somewhere, someplace in the UK, so they could analyze it with a microscope and make sure there wasn't any extra fibers that would throw off the testing process. They found some of those fibers, and there's documents that show that they found them and removed them prior to these carbon uh, dating tests. There's also no proof that uh, on the shroud anywhere that it was uh, there was other pieces that were sewed in or anything of that sort. When it comes to the outside portions that were used for the tests. So there's a lot more evidence, though, that uh, to me uh, provides uh, a pretty compelling argument that the Shroud of Turin is a hoax. There's no reliable documentation of the Shroud of Turin's existence until the 14th century. A lot of you know, the, the fathers talking about this um, story uh, uh, where there was like a a painting with a picture of Jesus on it, but there's way more paintings that are out there that show that it's just a small piece of cloth with Jesus's face on it, not a massive, not a folded up 
shroud. Uh, so there's more historical evidence that suggests that that whole painting is just another example of a encaustic painting that uh, shows the mandolin of Edessa, which is what he was talking about. But it's just a small portion of cloth. It's not a shroud. There's also a confession by some guy in like uh, 1389 where uh, he met with this, uh, I think it's the priest or somebody or a bishop. And uh, he confesses to him that he created this shroud of Turin, like this, 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 uh, I don't think it was known as a shroud of Turin at the time, but the shroud that has Jesus's likeness on it. And, uh, yeah, it, it says, uh, the case Holy Father stands thus. Sometimes since in the diocese of Troyes, the dean of a certain collegiate church, to wit that of Lyrie falsely and deceitfully, being consumed with the passion of avarice, and not from any motive of devotion, but only of gain, procured for his church a certain cloth cunningly painted, upon which by a clever sleight of hand was depicted the twofold image of one man, that is to say, the back and front. He falsely declaring and pretending that this was the actual shroud in which our Savior Jesus Christ was enfolded in the tomb, and upon which the whole likeness of the Savior had remained, thus impressed together with the wounds which he bore. So there is some uh, controversy about this uh, confession that it's kind of hard to really uh, um, not necessarily justify it, but to, to really pr- substantiate because it's uh, from so long ago. But the fact there is something like that, though, which I find interesting because and it's very detailed and really does tie into the idea of the Shroud of Turin. And there probably were multiple instances of shrouds where people are trying to claim that it's the shroud that Jesus was buried in. Yeah, probably. I would I would think so. Also, the Shroud of Turin, it doesn't match the kind of shrouds that were actually used in Judea during Jesus' time or the description of Jesus' shroud given in the Gospel of John. Because uh, in Judea during the first century AD, people did not normally wrap whole bodies in a singular rectangular piece of linen. Instead, people wrapped the body in strips of linen and wrapped the head separately from the body using its own piece of linen. There's even a piece in the Bible that describes precisely how they uh, wrapped uh, Jesus's uh, head and body separately in that precise manner. So even if you want to believe that it is this, the, the burial shroud, it doesn't even tie into the kind of burial uh, rituals and the kind of ways that they would bury people back in that time period. Uh, then you have the radiocarbon dating, they did all these things. They took all these precautions. Uh, and then you have uh, the image on the Turin Shroud. It also has unrealistic anatomical features. Like, if you look at it, like, look at the forehead. Like, everything is just really elongated, unnatural. It looks like something you would see on a statue or a bit of artwork from the Gothic uh, period uh, uh, during the Middle Ages. It really does look like something like that. A lot of them have these elongated faces and these elongated features. And his dick and then, is like nine inches, and there's no way people had nine-inch <laughs> dicks back then. 
Uh, and then another thing here, here we have, when you look at the front and the back sides of the image, they don't match. If you look at the, 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 uh, images here, the front side of the figure on the shroud doesn't match the back side. In fact, the two figures aren't even the same length. The front side of the figure on the shroud is like 1.95 meters long, but the figure on the back is like 2.02 meters. And that's really something that to me points out that it's more the work of an artist because it's easier to see how an artist could have painted the figures separately. And as a result, he accidentally made the backside of the figure longer than the front side because how the hell, if it's how the hell would it be that off if it was authentic? Like why would Jesus's back been longer than his front? If this was some kind of perfect copy of his body as his spirit left uh, and, you know, went into heaven or whatever. Also, the blood stains on the Turin Shroud are not consistent with how blood naturally flows. The stains instead appear to have been painted on. Uh, There's been a lot of forensic pathologists. People have been trying to recreate the, the bleeding and it doesn't really match with how it would actually occur and then you have the kind of the fabric of the, the shroud of turin uses which is a herringbone twill weave which apparently is a kind of complex weave that was used in the late middle ages but it was not known to have been used for burial shrouds in the first century ad so there's a lot more evidence that points out that this is more than likely a hoax than it's actually a real burial shroud of Jesus Christ. But I know there's other people. Well, what about the pollen? Like there's, that's not really that reliable of a, uh, analysis. Like even his own colleague that one of his colleagues is interviewed in the segment. And he's like, you know, I know him and we're, we're close friends, but I- I'm sorry. Like even he's like calling bullshit on it. He's like, I did all these tests. I didn't find anything. um, and I don't know if anybody else has tried to uh, do tests again to try to find the same pollen. And uh, then you have these other things that people have done. Like, for instance, there was this guy, I think he did for Smithsonian. He showed that you can create a very similar and almost nearly identical kind of image on a piece of linen through uh, a use of, uh, I think, like, it was like a boss relief of, like, the head of Jesus. And then you would just, like, do, I think it would just take pigment and, and stuff and just paint it, essentially. You know, powder it on there and then remove it. And then it shows no brush strokes. It shows nothing like that. Uh, when you put it through the spectral analyzer, it doesn't have as much detail but this could have been just the fact that uh, the, the specific artist who created the Shroud of Turin used a, a technique that we don't quite really know. Um, but there's other people. Uh, there was some Italian scientists uh, in 2013 that used infrared lighting and spectros- uh, spectroscopy to date the Shroud between 280 BC and 220 AD. Uh, but then there were tests that were done with similar shrouds that showed the blood stains in the shroud. They're not consistent with the one that, uh, you would expect from a crucifixion. 
So it's just, it really, at the end of the day, it does come down to this whole, you believe what you want to believe. You, you, you can choose to believe that it's a bunch of bullshit, like I do, or you can choose to believe that it's actually the burial shroud of Jesus Christ. And either way is fine. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to believe that Josh is probably fast asleep at this moment. I'm getting there, buddy. I'm getting there. Um, no, I was just letting you run with that one. Um, you know, like I kind of said at the beginning, um, for, for me to accept that this is, you know, the burial shroud of Jesus Christ, and that's his, you know, not so Arabic looking face on the uh, on the linen or shroud or whatever. It's like that. It's, for me to believe that is for me it, that that means that all the other stuff must be true as well, and I just. I just don't. Yeah, I think I think it was. It's a too lot, much of a fallacy. It's a lot easier to uh, now. What, what I think is more compelling is the um, Lady of Guadalupe uh, image on the cactus uh, paper, or cactus rag, or whatever. Uh, okay. That episode where um, the image has never deteriorated, and they've had uh, artists commission similar paintings of our lady of guadalupe on similar cactus uh cloth cactus cloth is the name of it and uh within a within a few years the the cloth the paintings that were commissioned were so rotted and shitty that they had to be taken out of public viewing but the lady of guadalupe one to this day remains intact with no signs of wear the stuff like that is more compelling to or me the staircase the staircase uh, as well, but that's kind of just more of uh, it's an architectural marvel. That's like yeah, that's like a, a marvel of of uh, yeah architecture than anything else, um, which was which was given to us by the uh, aliens, which I do believe in. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so it always comes uh, back around to aliens. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the beginning of everything. They, they might have uh, they might have been responsible for the Shroud of Turin too. My friend told me the other day <laughs> that she was watching uh, some video or something, and it was um, the these higher ups. Uh, I think they were in England or something, and they had high like top access to like UFOs and, and this that and the other. And the way that she reiterated the article to me is she said, uh, the aliens have been watching us and they're not happy right now with how, uh, the earth, how, how, you know, things are going on the earth and all that. And I just thought that was the funniest phrase ever. The aliens aren't happy with us, (laughs) which means that aliens have the ability to feel happiness and sadness (laughs) Or anger. And disappointment. <laughs> yeah, disappointment. <laughs> so they're like our fucking stepdad, like up just floating in the sky, like face palming themselves yeah. at yeah. planet Earth. Which also conversely means that aliens can be happy with us. Uh if if we're it all It reminds me of a deleted scene in uh the film The Abyss where uh, the aliens were so unhappy and disappointed with uh humans in terms of their uh, obsession with war that they created a massive tidal wave to wipe us out and it was the love that uh uh two humans shared for one another in times of crisis that made the the aliens decide 
Maybe these humans aren't so bad after all. I just, I just want to see us as a people come to this kumbaya, kumbaya moment on Earth just so I could see, like, a happy alien up in the sky just smiling. Yeah. Like, I hope yay! it's not one of the... Yeah, I hope... <laughs> just, just, like, just yay. I hope, it's, I hope it's not one of those same aliens that, like, gave that one guy a titty twister on that bogus UFO <laughs> documentary that we did. Yeah. What was the name of that one? Uh, ex- uh, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, just the oh, oh my god, the aliens! Oh, they're rubbing my nipples! Oh my I, god! I hope it's not the aliens from the Twilight Zone story, "Small Talent for War," where we actually have that kumbaya moment, where we achieve world peace, and then the aliens laugh in our face, and then are like, "No, we 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 uh breed uh our uh." individuals you know we breed people for war you have a small talent for war uh your uh weapons are woefully inefficient your technology is backward uh and this whole thing was like we're gonna destroy you if you do not figure shit out and so humans we think that oh they just want us to get along but the aliens instead are like no we want you to be warriors and you fucking suck so goodbye (laughs) So that would be horrible. That would be awful. You have that kumbaya moment, and then the aliens are like, nah, man. We're here to harvest your fucking resources and take your women. All right, so now we're getting to the portion of the podcast where teenage Josh pisses and moans about the most mundane shit. Because he's got nothing else to say about the Shroud of Durin. No, not really. I mean... It, like I mean I, I I like it was a compelling case when I when I watched it you know when I was younger and even now it's still kind of compelling but like I said for me to p- believe that's real would be to admit that like every everything else would have to be real too you know and and I just don't I just kinda, so it'd be like that Weird Al song everything you know is wrong <laughs> yeah I mean if that turns out to be real well then if that's real then you know Noah's Ark is real and and um. You know, putting the animals in the ark and the uh, us, you know, in like the amount of inbreeding going on back then, and that that's real. And the Earth is Tower of Babylon yeah, all, all, that yeah, actually happened. Yeah, all that shit has to be real too, then, right? You know, because how can you pick and choose at that point? You know, so it's like by default, I kind of have to call you know bullshit on on this stuff. And you know, miracles. It's a funny thing. I remember growing up in the church, and, and like the constant uh, question that was always asked by the kids was like, "Well, why isn't Jesus doing miracles anymore? Like on the scale that he did back in the <laughs> Old Testament and, and even the New Testament?" Like it's because he's disappointed, like aliens are right now. That's why. <laughs> well, the answer always was, "Well, Jesus doesn't need to do those miracles anymore because he's already proven his point." And, and like, has he? And, and actually. <laughs> Uh, as, as they as they uh, as they try to unfurl the bullshit yarn spool even further, they're like, and a- actually, he does do miracles, and we just don't hear about him as much because uh, our society is more complicated, and and the, the miracles yeah, get sure. swept up. Yeah, it's like, uh huh, yeah, okay. I believe uh, the the idea that people have that Jesus could come back on Earth, and then uh, so many people just wouldn't even fucking care; they wouldn't even notice. <laughs> Well, you'd, I mean, it'd be like anything else where it's like, you know, 
Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah sure. no one no one believes yeah. him, and then he does a miracle, yeah. and then someone's like, "Fake news." That's fake news. That wasn't real. If you look, you can see the wires under his shirt that's making the lightning come out of his hand. <clears throat> so, yeah, anyway, uh, perks of being a Josh Flower. This is why I read through my teenage diaries and cringe collectively with you guys. Um, found these uh, archives on my computer, and so I've been reading them on here, and uh, a lot of you enjoy listening. Uh, my friend Harvey enjoyed my... Uh, my pissing and moaning about MySpace last week. <laughs> uh, so yeah, here we go. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, disclaimer: as always, anything I say, uh, I wrote this when I was 16 years old. So uh, yeah, I, I, I don't condone any kind of hate comment or anything I might say. He's lucky that anything he says will not be held up in the court of law. <laughs> yeah. So this is from Wednesday, August 31st, 2005. Hello, Zanga, you bitch. I love how I'm always insulting this, like, this... Just smacking it. An inordinate, inanimate (laughs) object, you know? It's just a website, and I'm just always insulting it. Hello, Zanga, you bitch. Last night I couldn't sleep worth a shit. I was having these weird thoughts. Never look at porn right before you go to bed. It sticks... (laughs) (laughs) It sticks in your mind, kinda. (laughs) I'm also having some obsessive thoughts. They enter my mind a lot. And that thought is, I love God, I hate Satan. I don't know why, but that goes through my mind a lot. Because if I don't think that, my brain sometimes tries to go through a sacrilegious thought, or it tries to throw a sacrilegious thought in there. So I have to combat it with that thought. It sucks. But I feel good typing it out here. I sometimes... Uh, wish no one knew about my Zanga because I really don't feel like checking my comments and seeing people say, well, that's weird. I'll pray for you. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The purpose of this Zanga is for me to have a place where I can express my thoughts and feelings when I feel them. Most of these things go away, then come back. But yeah, anyway, I worked out today. I've been working out a lot. I can do more and more weight. It's cool. I think I might be losing weight finally. I wish I could get rid of these zits. They are annoying. Practices tomorrow. I think I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, I'm about to go play my synthesizer. I'm going to pull some happiness out of life. I want some ice cream, damn you. I want a girlfriend, and I want to go back out with Casey. <laughs> there, I said it. But I know I prob- it probably won't happen, but I haven't accepted that yet. But I'm sure she doesn't even see me in that way, but I have no one else. Haha, my life really isn't as bad as I make it sound on here. Whatever, I'm gone. So wow. in the early so part, so many uh, hills and valleys oh. with this particular. Mike, post. would you expect anything less from they're me? Talking about you know watching porn before bed, and then you're talking about these thoughts of I love you know God, and I hate Satan, okay. which I find kind of ironic because literally a few sentences before that, sentences before that, you're talking about porn, <laughs> watching porn, yeah. which. <laughs> Isn't that technically against, you know... Well, you know, what? what is a Christian if not for being the biggest hypocrites on the planet? But no, like, see, the thing is, is, like, that was the early stages of my OCD. Um, yeah. I, to this day, I still get the, those those same exact thoughts. Like, uh, I would say those thoughts, they might be residue from being brainwashed for so many years. Oh, yeah, for sure. that's the kind of... That sounds like brainwashing. Yeah, you know, but the dude, constant, just subliminal messages just pounded into your head like over and over here i am like what 16 years later uh with those same uh every now and then i'll get those same sacrilegious thoughts then i have to go through this whole um 
kind of mantra to to clean the slate if you if you will and and i'm documenting but are they even really sacrilegious to you anymore? yeah well yeah i mean it's just okay so like catholics describe something called catholic guilt and that's yeah. basically something that um even even when you when you don't even go to church and you don't identify as catholic anymore you still feel this kind of religious guilt um towards certain things that's awful. And and I guess Sucks. and I guess I have that like so the thought that will pop up in my head is f god. I, I still can't say oh. it. And it'll just huh. it'll just pop in my head. It's not a voice. It's just a thought. It's a thought. My brain knows it's off limits, so it's a dick and it just throws that thought in my head at some point. And I have to counter it with a mantra of fuck Satan, I love God, I hate Satan. And I have to say that in my head to oh, to er- wow. to erase the first thought. And that's the. That's probably some kind of. Uh, it's OCD. Uh, it's, mental, it's obsessive. Yeah. And then I do the compulsion. Yeah. And then it makes, you know, the, the problem, you know, go away for whatever. And um, that, what I just read, was one of the first instances uh-huh. of that happening to me. So. Um, I think it's one of the unfortunate side effects for some people who have OCD, who have these kind of mindsets or, or issues with mental illness and uh, religion. Oh, yeah. Because there's yeah. a lot of obsessive yes, stuff absolutely. when it comes to yeah. religion. There's a whole there's a whole wing of OCD called ROCD, uh literally religious uh-huh. obsessive compulsive disorder. Um yeah. and yes, that's a very real thing. So I mean that's you know, what you're saying is absolutely true. And it makes sense that it would carry on even after you left the church. Yeah, and it does. It does. Yeah, it's weird. Probably happens with Scientologists, probably. Maybe. Fuck L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Uh, wait, I mean, uh, 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 you know, fuck, uh, SPs. Fuck I, Xenu! Uh, fuck <laughs> SPs, I love L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> I love Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, uh, next we have Friday, September 2nd, 2005, my birthday. So, I would have turned, um, uh, so I was born in 88, uh, fucking 12 in the year 2000. So, I would have been turning 17, uh, in September 2005. Uh, the Man, year, the year I lost like, my virginity, and I'm sure I'll be talking about that on here. It feels like ancient times for me. <laughs> wait, a, hold on, wait a second. No, I would have been turning. Would I've been turning 16? Because I w- got. I didn't. I didn't wait. I already had my license by. Hold on, let's see. Here, let me go back in time. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way. Uh, all right. So September second. Uh, 2005 which was a friday um so i was born in it no so i think i was turning 16 yes i would have had to be because i know i got my license on the day i turned 16 oh you're sweet 16 yeah okay so i was 16 so all this time i was 15 all right anyway fuck you um okay <laughs> i got my driver's license today all caps a lot of exclamation points this is a turning point in my life it really is freedom but i need a car still but yeah, that rocks. And I also turned... <laughs> I love it. It's like, freedom, but I still don't have a car. <laughs> and I also turned 17 today. Oh, okay, so I was 17. Jesus Christ. All right. I also turned 17 today. Yet right now, I feel so alone. Gosh. And the, the fucking party turns into a rainstorm very quickly for Josh once again. I can freaking drive, yet there is still nothing to do. Like, no one likes me. I'm not cool enough for them, I guess. <laughs> At least I got to do a lot of stuff today, though, but I missed Unsolved Mysteries. Fuck, I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I love that. Um, fuck it. I can't read this font. They're driving place on time. Okay. 
I'm just imagining a young Josh, you know, just being pissed and surly and angry to miss unsolved mysteries. I, think, that day. I just think it's so appropriate that if anyone ever questions my loyalty to this show, like <laughs> uh, here I am at 17 talking about how I missed the rerun, the lifetime rerun of unsolved mysteries. Okay, but anyway, uh, anyway, today started off hectic for my mom because she was freaking out about getting to the driving place on time. We got there and the test was so easy. Me and the driving lady got into the Pathfinder, which we had to borrow from my grandparents because our Buick Roadmaster Roadmaster had broken brakes. And I had to turn on my blinkers, hit the brake, honk the horn. And then we went down the small road into the back for the test. I parked between these three cones, backed out, drove around this turn, accelerated to 20 miles per hour. Then I backed up, went left, made a three-point turn, came around, drove back, and she said I passed. My picture looks so nasty, though. Ew. So then we went to the to fucking Walmart. Whose for, driver's license photo even looks? Some people's look. You know, some people's great. Looks, anyway, look all right. So then we went to my uh, old ID photo. I, it looks like a mugshot. I'm just fucking depressed. It's, it's, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, you, it really is. I've learned that you can ask them to retake it if if you don't like yeah. it. Yeah, um, but most well, it, it's because it. I took it like pretty soon after I left Oklahoma City, so I was mentally and physically like not the best so that just showed up in the photo Mm. um so then we went to fucking walmart for an hour then Publix for an hour then the bank then arby's i came home around 2 30 and i drove out for the first time to get my brother a candy bar it felt weird not having a parent in the car to direct me where to go or what to do so then i came back watched my offspring video collection the band I was planning on going to the game tonight, but apparently no one important is going, so I'm not either. Zach isn't picking up his phone. Josh is having a concert. Brian is working. Casey has cheerleading. Olin lives in Middleburg. So does Jeremy. And Stephanie is grounded, so I'm stuck here with nothing to do. I mean, I'm tired of playing. You could still go to the game. (laughs) No no one important was up there, apparently. Um, I like how I I wish people would treat me with respect, but here I am saying no one important is going to be there. So it's like, you know, I I don't have the decency to treat other people like they're important, yet I still want, anyway. A lot of teenagers are hypocrites. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm tired of playing all my instruments, too, so I can't play those. I'll probably end up watching Russian Rio or something. Man, guys, or whoever reads this, I really wish I had a friend. But I understand people have obligations, too. I can't have someone up my ass 24-7 just because I feel a little lonely. Whatever. I want to have band practice again. At least that gives me some feel of purpose. Practice is going okay, I guess. It's not great. I'm learning the songs pretty good. I'm behind on my schoolwork as of right now. I need to get on that. Maybe I'll do my homework because I ain't got shit else to do. Okay, well, I called Casey today, and I felt weak hearing her voice because it brings back a lot of hurt. She's totally over me, LOL. And I'm over her, but yet I still want to go out with her. Yeah, uh, sure. That, mean, you're over that means her. you're not over her, Josh. <laughs> I want to start a new chapter in our relationship. It probably ain't going to happen, though. I need a life. I need a job. Maybe. I don't know. I'm so dissatisfied with life right now. Can't you tell? Okay, well, I guess I'm going to go. Yes, I am alone, but then again, I always was. As far back as I can tell. I think maybe it's because because you were never really real to begin with. I just made you up to hurt myself, and it worked. Yes, it did. There is no you. There is only me. There is no fucking you. There is only me. 
That is lyrics. What? From, that is lyrics from a Nine Inch oh. Nails song that came out that oh, year. Okay. The album with teeth. God, I've... I thought you were going to be like, "There's no Dana, only Zool." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that album came out just yesterday. Holy shit! Like I bought that shit the day it came out. It was so good. That was probably like their last great album. Mm. Uh. Oh, these are really short ones. Monday, September. But I, I love like how you pause it. Like I have no life. Like it's with a question <laughs> Maybe, mark. Like a question mark. <laughs> um these are short okay sunday september 11th 2005 hey zanga it's me again joshy c well Ooh. what a fucking Ooh. what a fucking dope well i had a busy weekend which was awesome friday after school we went grocery shopping and then we got arby's i really liked arby's back in the day hey arby's is is one of the better Fast food places, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, their curly fries are awesome. Yeah. Uh, then I went to the mall and saw 40-Year-Old Virgin. That is a funny movie. I got Josh Delacruz a birthday present. I got him Power Windows by Rush. And Steven, my cousin, went to the mall with me, and he got Josh a Mucho Mania CD. It was a used CD, and it was all cracked and shit. And we hadn't even heard of the group, but they looked seriously homosexual. I saw a lot of people. What? <laughs> what? I saw a lot of people at the mall, though. I saw Brittany Brown, Paige Stalvey, Lauren Riddle, I think, Mark Delacruz, Kristen Hand, Ashley O'Brien, this hot chick named Kristen, I think. And I saw someone else I don't know, but it was cool. Then Saturday... Back when, in the day when people actually went to the mall. Oh, yeah. All the hot, those are yeah. all chicks. All those chicks I just named were hot back in back in uh, the, their heyday, too. Especially Paige Stalvey. She was really hot. Her breath smelled really bad, though. Um, <laughs> like chronic halitosis going on. Um, let me see here. But it was cool. Then Saturday I went to my grandma's house and they talked about the rapture because of this hurricane. Every time I go over there, I get all depressed. That's our family for you, though. Then I went to Josh's birthday party, which was fun. All of his band was there and all of his little hardcore church friends were there. They are all pretty good people. Hardcore church. Hardcore slash, like his hardcore, like hardcore music, like the genre yeah, and, yeah. and his church. I friends. know, but it's just hardcore and church in the same sentence. It, it kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Right, yeah. Well, they were morons, so there you go. <laughs> we wrestled and played music and such. I got to listen to our band CD and get those parts. Uh, practice is tomorrow, and I promised John Masters that I would listen to a CD. Okay, this was back when I was doing that old school hardcore band stronghold so i gotta listen to it i still got a lot of freaking homework i gotta translate a bitch load of spanish stuff and today i woke up watched preaching on tv and ate a steak dinner which was tasteful what am i going what am i gonna do today hmm who knows arm me with some comments bye the steak was tasteful <laughs> yes <laughs> that's what i typed normally when you you say something like that it's it, it, it's not in relation to something tasting like really good like it was it was tasteful like it was it was, fine, it was a good it know. was a good choice it was an appropriate choice for the situation yeah. it was a tasteful uh selection all right this is a lot so uh you saw uh 40 have you seen 40 year old virgin since then uh i think like once or twice it was it was pretty funny steve carell not one of my favorite comedies um but it, it's fun yeah, it's just one of those things where sometimes the energy is just too much, and it just gets a little too obnoxious. Um, 
Because a lot of comedies around that time tend to be kind of like high energy, just ah, they all kind of you know. they all kind of were were ripping off Will Ferrell's shtick because his movies were yeah. really successful at that time. Well, when The Hangover came out, it was just nothing, and it's still like that. So many comedies are just trying to be The Hangover or Super Bad, which I liked. Super, Even to I, this day, I liked Super Bad. I did not like The Hangover. That movie is so fucking overrated. Like, I do not. I like it, but you I know, do not see I, the appeal. It's, I mean, in comparison to the sequels, it's a masterpiece. Well, yeah, the sequels, <laughs> especially like the last one I heard, was just pure garbage. All right, this is the last one I'll read, and then we'll stop. Uh, Wednesday, September 14th, 2005. Hey, so anyway, today was was neat, I guess. I have been feeling a little bit calmer. Oh, and my freaking Rush posters finally came in. And yes, they are badass. And I got a Signal shirt, too. That's cool. I found out a girl was bulimic today. That I, that I would have never guessed. Uh, or I found out that a girl was bulimic today that I would have never guessed is bulimic. That's weird. It's not like I would have known guessed, but... It's always those people, isn't it? The people who seem fucked up are usually the normal ones, like me, lol. Maybe not. I'm pretty far from normal. Well, I finally got to play my bass today. It was ever so sweet. I played her for about an hour. I love my new bass overdrive pedal. I just don't know about this band, though. Those guys are fucking perfectionists. I mean, seriously, every little cymbal hit and drum roll, they want me to match perfectly to the old drummer's parts. That's a lot to ask from anyone. I don't know if I'm going to stay in this band. I really don't. I mean, I love telling people I'm in a band again, and the preacher's son even acts really cool to me now ever since he found out. But I don't know. Another big thing is the driving. Good Lord, it's an hour there and an hour back. It's too much. But yet, on the other hand, I don't want to give up. It's kind of annoying when people instant message you or call you just so they can have an outlet to talk about nothing. I mean, people say so much of nothing like, with some people, my conversations are just so useless, but others, like my good friends, my conversations can be so enriching. It's a nice feeling. But anyways, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just rambling on. I want a girlfriend again, and I don't want to go back, and, and I want to go back out with Casey. I think about her a little bit, and I miss her a lot. Just let her go, I know, man. dude. Wow. Like, fucking obsessive. I hope she would want to go back out with me, but I have a feeling she's done with me and wants nothing to do with me again. Bro! Like, what? You keep saying the same shit every time. Like, read the writing, writing on the wall, motherfucker. We worked out good, though. Ugh, that reminds me. My best friend's ex-girlfriend keeps freaking obsessing over him. She can't, she just can't get over him. It's so annoying. And then today she went up, <laughs> today she went up to him and insulted him, his new haircut. It's like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? You are so stupid. I don't know. She's gay. I'm going to go now. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm, I'm fat, and I have acne, but my main problem is being fat. Bye. <laughs> okay. I love it. It's like, I'm fat, and I have acne, but my main problem is being fat. <laughs> and I just end There's... end it like that. Like, I just have to remind everyone, in case you have forgotten, I'm, I'm fat, and that's my main problem. And I also like how it's going on about if I should be in that band or not, and then I start talking about how, like, useless conversations. And it's like, yeah, like the yeah. one I'm typing out right now. Uh-huh. Ugh. And just again, just clinging. Such a clinger, such a simp. <laughs> you know, for for uh, what's her name? I wasn't a simp. I was just, I was like, I w- I was like that obsessed uh, lone wolf that that wanted to like kidnap yeah, her and okay. be like, if I can't have you, no one can. Oh, so like that guy uh, from the Tales from the Crypt episode, Jeffrey Tambor played. 
Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's uh, the end of the podcast. If you guys want to uh, subscribe to us on Patreon, you'll get the episode a little bit early, although I feel like this week you won't. Uh, if you donate $5 a month, you can uh, tell us what you want us to cover on the uh, podcast. Um, if you want to join us on Facebook, join our Facebook group. Uh, just type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries uh, in the search bar, and it's an awesome group of people that are awesome. And yeah, except for the spammers who are scum. Who I, I, I try to eliminate as soon as I see. So do I. I, I, I uh, took care of two of them today. Oh, nice. So Yeah, I, these people just peddling their, their like paranormal ghost tour or whatever. It's like that. No, no, no. This was legitimate spam. Uh, uh, I've never seen it before in the group. Somebody sharing a fake Mr. Beast video for like winning money... Uh, then another one was some kind of lottery scam or some shit or gambling scam. Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you, Mike. You're staying on top of things. (laughs) Um, if you want to find me and Mike on YouTube, if you want us separately, where you can see the various flavors and nuances of, of our different personalities, you can head over to Mike's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He likes the movies. Mike, what was the last video you did? The last video I uploaded is a review of Beavis and Butthead Do America. Oh, I'm sure it got the stunning reviews that it deserves. <laughs> Most people were happy with, uh, you know, what I had to say. I don't think it's a great film. I actually like uh, a good number of the shorts from MTV more than the movie. Uh, but it has its moments. It's entertaining. Um and uh, I also talked about the Wayne's World movies because they were all requests uh, from uh, a subscriber of mine. And uh, I recently revisited This Is Spinal Tap, which is hilarious. Um, have you ever gotten lost backstage? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't think I have, but I fucking love that uh, that bit in the movie where they... <laughs> they serve Rock our- on, Cleveland! <laughs> They circle around and 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 they hit the janitor again. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. That movie was just so brilliantly done, especially if you're in the well, music world. Well, did you world. know that uh, uh, most of it was improvised? They just had a template for when a scene was going to begin and end, and all of them just improvised the majority of their lines. Wow, that's crazy. Those were some pretty good British accents, too, that uh, Chris Yeah, and, and also the whole, uh, I mean, there's just so many things that, I mean, a lot of musicians at the time and even now still are like, well, that was just reality. <laughs> like, they, they, some of them weren't even laughing because they were just like, no, this is how it is. You know, how some musicians are just full of themselves, these ridiculous egos, like the whole thing with the sandwiches. Yeah. You know, with the, and... Uh, the bad reviews. Uh, this album, uh, it only got a two-word review uh, for Shark Sandwich. Uh, shit Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the whole thing with turning the, the speakers to 11 is like, why don't you just make 10 louder? Well, these go to you 11. <laughs> uh, or the, Stone- the Stonehenge bit is hilarious. That gets me every time. I just It just kills me. As soon as they lower this tiny foam Stonehenge and <laughs> Michael McKean's reaction looking up at it, dumbfounded, and then the dwarves are just dancing around. 
<laughs> around this tiny Stonehenge prop or or when uh, uh, Harry Shearer gets stuck in the pod. And that actually happened in real life to you too with that fucking lemon. Like they yeah. were actually mm-hmm. stuck in this fucking lemon during a concert. Yep. Yeah, that movie's uh, that movie's fucking classic, man. So yeah, head on over great. to Mike's channel if you want to see any of his movie stuff. If you want to check out my channel, I'm more music based. I do little uh, kind of documentaries, mini documentaries on bands and on events. Uh, I do album reviews. I do uh, tier and album rankings of uh, you know some of my favorite artists. And they might be your favorite artists too. Uh, you can go to youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts if you want to check out my channel. The last video I did, I actually uploaded it yesterday or the day before. It is about the band OK Go, a band that gimmicks built. And I basically talk about how um, if it weren't for OK Go's very elaborate and gimmicky music videos, their music really wouldn't be anywhere, or they as a band would not be anywhere close to where they're at now with uh, any kind of success. Because uh, I believe their music is very uh, mid to late 2000s indie, indie power pop, and it really doesn't stand out from the crowd. And you can see that by their streaming numbers on Spotify for a band that has been around as long as they do and have uh, their videos that have as many hits as they do. Their numbers should be a lot higher. But the fact that their numbers aren't higher means that people aren't just listening to their music. If they want the whole OK Go experience, you really got to watch the music video. And to me, that means you're more of a novelty act and less of a true band or artist. Uh, when you need to rely on a certain shtick for your popularity, that that invalidates you to a certain degree as a valid uh, I mean, artist, in my I opinion. Feel, I feel that they're valid artists, but they're not, like, great. Right. They're mediocre. You know, that kind at, of thing. Their music mediocre. is mediocre at best, but their videos are so well yeah. done that you just but I think maybe they knew that maybe they knew that we're not the best yeah we're not the you know we're not the best when it comes to our lyrics we're not the best when it comes to our instrumentals we're not the best period there's so many other bands that are better than us but what we can do and what we're better at than pretty much any other band is these kind of uh music videos yeah and you know the creativity behind them, and then there is something to be said about that. I mean, it's unbelievable what they put together. Oh yeah, and, and, but, and I even uh, say in the video, I don't take away their videos. I mean, their yeah. videos are fucking incredible. I mean, they're 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 like masterpieces in performance art. But yeah, as a band, they're just so. I mean, the only song I remember is you know here it goes again. That's really all that I remember from OK Go. I, I is, remember is when they first came out and they were. On one of those MTV fresh and new music or whatever, and they yeah. just had that normal music video for "Get Over It," and I thought the song was all right. I, I thought it was okay enough to pirate off a of Limewire and put on one of my mix uh-huh. CDs. So you know, that's how you know I really thought it was okay. But then after that, <laughs> when I heard uh, 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 some of the other songs on that same album, like "Cinnamon Lips on the Tip of My Tongue," I'm like, "Whoa, that's gonna be a no for me." And then after that, they released that that treadmill video, and they just blew the fuck up. And they're like, "All right, let's lean into these gimmicks," and that's what they've done ever since. Um, I mean, it's it's the same a parallel I can draw in in the art world um, or in the stand up comedy world is a comedian like Jeff Dunham. Okay, 
Uh, a lot of comics don't consider Jeff Dunham in the same league as, say, uh, even though he sells you know thousands of tickets and packs out uh, how arenas when he does his comedy, uh, uh, his his fellow stand up comedians would not put him on the same yeah. level as like say a Jeff Foxworthy or like. Well, uh, I don't even know Jeff Foxworthy might even be in that level. Yeah, of I mean, or, or, you know, because that's what I was thinking of is a blue collar you know comedy guy. Okay, so like, they wouldn't put him are, on the same on the on the same level as like say like a fucking. Um, Trying to think of like an overall comedian that everyone likes, like a. I mean, you got Dave, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, yeah, there Bill you go. Burr. Like Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Louis C.K. They would not put Jeff Dunham on that league, even though Jeff Dunham probably sells more tickets than they do. But it's simply because he is a puppet comic. He uses puppets. He yeah. has a gimmick. When you go to a Jeff Dunham show, you know you're going to get the puppet thing, and it's a gimmick that helps sell tickets. And other comics view that as cheap. They view it well, yeah, as... But, I mean, on the flip side, I mean, you got to look at his creativity, how he's managed to make this thing work. Right. You know, that when you look at it, it shouldn't work, but he somehow manages to find a way with his creativity well, to make and- it work out. Like with OK Go, with their music videos, I mean, I will take OK Go making mediocre songs, but just really busting their asses with their music videos any day of the week over like Maroon 5 I think that's who it is or what is fucking Adam Levine's band yeah what and they're just constant just mediocre pop right and with and you no, know nowhere near as much creativity or effort put into the music let alone the mu- the music videos yeah i mean and there's nothing I hate more than a dull music video, and it, like especially when it's like a great song and it's a shitty music video, like that sucks because it's like, you know, really like <laughs> that's what you chose to do for this video. <laughs> like, um, I remember this. Uh, God, there's a lot of bad music videos out out there. I was at one point early in my YouTube career, I was going to do a series called Shittios, where I uh, just I love the song Ghostbusters, but that music video is so fucking cheesy well, yeah i mean it really is you got the fucking music video for <laughs> steam by peter gabriel where it's like some of the worst early yeah 90s i remember that CGI. like did you do you covered that one I yeah think, that was one the point. one episode yeah. of shittios that i did and and it was just i like that I, I liked it too but then i ran into copyright shit and then yeah, it was a lot it was a yeah. lot of work like i had to write the jokes ahead of time mm-hmm. and then go through it and act like i was you know i had to act like i came up with the joke off the top of my head it was this whole thing it was like that's nah, not even worth it but um, i can see why people parodied metallica's the unforgiven because that music video is like just some old guy in a room like really <laughs> i actually like that video i think it's uh, how it was shot i thought it was uh, really artsy i thought it was uh it wasn't too direct and in your face um and the song is just so good that oh, it's um, a great song. You know, it sounds the song sounds big. It sounds dark, and the video is big and dark. So it, it felt it felt very appropriate. And they were going places that metal bands had never gone, as far as the art direction and how yeah. how they were filmed. And it wasn't. It, I mean, watch some really. You watch some of the hair metal. Like I love "Rocky Like a Hurricane." It's one of my favorite songs. That music video sucks. Right, uh, that's what I'm saying. I am like, totally like Metallica with Beavis and Butthead, where they were like, "This sucks." <laughs> like Metallica was, they were really like pushing so many boundaries and trying to break away from the silliness of that that yeah. hair metal power metal era. And um, I think um, 
the Unforgiven is uh, kind of got a timeless quality to it, you know, the video and the song itself. So I mean, there are there are definitely worse Metallica videos out there for sure. Oh yeah. Um, I mean they they've got some pretty corny ones out there. So I'm just saying I can see why people parodied it. Oh, if you want like, if you uh, want to see like a bad Metallica music video, I would <laughs> say um, uh, Hero of the Day is pretty bad with the 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 kid in his apartment and at some point these like robotic like ants start coming out of his ear <laughs> yeah dude it's really weird and like on the tv is like the only time you see metallica but they're like parroting all these like like they're doing a game show set and then they're doing one where james is like a cowboy from the wild west <laughs> which he totally like rocks that role with his handlebar mustache and his like yosemite sam looking ass self but uh yeah anyway um all right we're coming in on two hours here i got other things i want to do tonight so uh until next week guys have a good rest of your night see ya see ya oh damn i stole <laughs> your see ya Teehee.